we're going to be positive every day. You're the people being negative, you and some of the fans. Tom Brady's not walking through that door, fans. Alex Guerrero isn't walking through that door, and Yappa Yappa isn't walking through the Zat the Daughter. And if they did, they'd be Botox and weird. And all the negativity that's in this town sucks. I've been around, around when Grogan was booed. I joined in when Bledsoe was booed, and it stinks. It makes the greatest town, greatest city in the world lousy. This is Entitled Town. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Entitled Weekend. Welcome to the 100th edition of Entitled Town slash the 13th edition of Entitled Weekend. Um, Shaq here along with Bill, Dan, and Joe filling in for Steve today. And I think it's pretty apropos that we kick off the 100th edition of the Entitled Podcast Network with this. Fourth down. Let's go play action. Going to be hit. Shaq. Fumble. Ball is loose. Picked up by Richard Seymour at the 40, 45, left sideline, 50, 45, 40. Down the left sideline, Richard Seymour goes the distance. Touchdown, Patriots. That's right. He's finally made it in after three years of eligibility. Richard Seymour is finally in the Hall of Fame. Thank God. And... It's pretty amazing that of uh, that that entire 2001 to 2004 run was really, and I don't think it's it's a stretch to say that it was built around defense. And the fact that Richard Seymour and Ty Law are the representatives, it makes a lot of sense, but it also doesn't because you know there's still plenty more on that defense, and we'll get to it in a minute that that need to be represented in the Hall of Fame. But uh, I'll start with you first, Joe. Uh, when this when this came on the wire, what did you think about Richard Seymour finally getting his just due in the Hall of Fame? You know, obviously I was wicked excited. Um, I'm sure I was surprised he didn't get in last year, um, to be completely honest with you, uh, just the way it worked out last year. But I still think he's criminally underrated. I mean, that 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 Patriots defense in the early 2000s might might not get the credit it deserves, considering what Brady's gone on to do and the hyperbole. Um, of, of what early Brady was described as. But, I mean, we forget, and for three years, Richard Seymour was an all-pro first-teamer, three years in a row, and then an all-pro second-teamer in 2006. Um, I think I read somewhere that this is going to be the first player in the Hall of Fame drafted by Bill Belichick, and obviously the first of many, but I'm excited. I'm happy for the guy. He was a baller. Dan, and for me, as a as Richard Seymour, I w- as a rookie, I remember him – hustling more than any other defensive lineman I've ever seen. I mean, he was chasing receivers 15 yards downfield after rushing the faster. And I mean, he was excellent at every single aspect of his position. And there are these fools who are out there saying, oh, well, why didn't DeMarcus Ware make it? He doesn't have any, Richard Seymour doesn't have any sacks like DeMarcus Ware does. Uh, no football less, people. Yeah, I what do mean, you think, Dan? I think with Richard Seymour, he was 
he was such a, you know, like you, you put it perfectly, like for his size, he moved so quickly and he, he played so many techniques that I think it gets, I think we talked about this at least a couple episodes ago. It's just, it, it goes under the radar about what he did and his impact because of the stat sheet. And DeMarcus Ware is a perfect, I heard of him name to compare him to, to say, oh, well, he didn't have this many sacks. It's like, because he didn't play, DeMarcus Ware didn't even play D-tackle. Seymour played D-tackle, he played D-end. He played, you know, no, there was times he played nose tackle. I mean, you know, sometimes he stood up. I mean, he played, I think he's a five technique guy. And that is so rare. And it actually makes me feel good that because he deserves it to get in. But it also almost sets another precedent, hopefully, with the Hall of Fame entry. Maybe not, probably not. But it would be hopeful that more guys like this get noticed that just aren't playing on the stat sheet of, you know, guys that, you know, if you don't really watch, if you're a casual fan, you could say, oh, yeah, he should be in the Hall of Fame. But if you are a true fan to the game, especially, I mean, obviously Patriots fans, but I saw in the comments when he got voted in, there were fans from other fan bases that said it, it was due time. You know, I saw Steelers fans saying it. I saw um, Miami fans saying it. So you know that there's a mutual respect for a player of, you know, his stature and, you know, Raiders fans got to experience it for a little bit. But um, I think the criterion fans' heads of what should go into the Hall of Fame sometimes is absurd. Uh, but at the same time, the Hall of Fame's been kind of watered down with certain folks that got in too. I mean, I think Steve put it perfectly on Twitter is like Rodney Harrison versus, you know, John Lynch. And, you know, hopefully Rodney gets in. And I think that clip is funny because I know, you know, people that are listening can't see the clip per se. But um, in that picture at the end, when Seymour's running it into the end zone, he's got Ty Law and Rodney Harrison right there with him, almost like they're running into the Hall of Fame. So I think that's kind of like personified there. But um, to your point, Shaq, I think there has to be more because I, I think um, Bill made this point previously about how many bucks in that time period are in the Hall of Fame versus how many of the dynasty era are in the Hall of Fame. And they had more bucks in there than the Patriots. So to that, I say, let's keep it going. And hopefully Vince Wilfork gets in the next couple of years um, and, and they just keep coming in to the, to the Hall of Fame. Obviously that Tom Brady, uh, Joe Schmo. Maybe he'll get in. I don't know, but we'll see. Yeah, it's a, it's a long shot for him to get in. I mean, <laughs> look, he didn't win. He didn't win MVP this year, so you know, who, how is it not MVP going to win? Going to go into the Hall of Fame? Uh, Bill, I, I'll, I'll just say real quick, oh, real quick, real quick. Sorry, just for the fact that he didn't get the MVP, I I thought he deserved to be MVP, but the fact that he didn't, yeah. and then seeing people's reactions to it was almost worth it because they voted in the one guy that everybody despises <laughs> over, you know, who should be the face of the league technically, you know, now he's retired. But um, the fact that that happened and just seeing people not only be those Bucks fans that left the Patriots fan base, to see them be so sad that they didn't, you know, win another Super Bowl or go far in the playoffs, but also Tom Brady retiring. <laughs> and then this, it was like the perfect trifecta <laughs> to those bitch fans that left the Patriots and now are trying to scratch and crawl their way back in. I'll, I'll take you're not welcome for 100, Aaron. Oh, wait, you're not the host of Jeopardy anymore? Oh, sorry. Um, <laughs> Bill, uh, my favorite defensive line, I think, by far for the Patriots was 
the three four defensive line of Richard Seymour, Ty Warren, and Vince Wilfork. That was that was the line where I knew I'm I'm like yes things are taken care of on that side. We don't have to worry about anything. And again, I, it goes back to people not understanding what real football is, especially football in the trenches. Now it's all about you know throwing throwing the football a thousand thousand miles and no look passes and oh my god he, I, he, I I saw Mina Kimes I saw God when I saw Josh Allen pass through the wind. Like, if people like like Dan said, if you could understand what having a strong defensive line is like, like the one I just mentioned, then you understand why he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Absolutely, I mean people underestimate the value of the defensive line all the time. I, I think that the first person who would tell you is the person who let you know the world know that Seymour was in, and it's Ty Law. Richard Seymour made life a lot easier for Ty Law. You know that, and I love that line as well, Shaq. The 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 Warren Wilfork Seymour line is uh, amongst my favorite personnel groups of all time for the Pats. Um, you know, it's up there with the um with the quarterback with the Wolfpack quarterback room for me. It's up there. You know, there's several really good units that we've had over a number of years, and I think that's you know right up there with the tops. But it it, it just I keep coming back to the point that Dan sort of alluded to with the number of Patriots in the Hall of Fame and what have you. And I think what's stunning and people saying, oh, you know, well, Brady was always bailed out by his defense and all this. So far, who on the offenses of the Patriots has made the Hall of Fame? Randy Moss? Who's who's won a championship? Nobody. Nobody that's won a championship and has been an offensive player for the Patriots has made the hall of fame. So if you're setting that standard, who is going to make it is the next question is the first quote unquote offensive person to make it going to be Matthew Slater listing as a wide receiver, you know, like that we're talking like it, it speaks to the greatness of Brady in some regards, but it also speaks to the dismissive nature of, oh, well, they had Brady and Belichick, so that's that's why they won. That's why they were successful. And I think that as time goes along, you're going to see a lot more of the uh, players get in from, like, the historical committees or what have you, um, you know, sort of awarding them their due. And it's going to be long overdue. Uh, you know, I think, you know, I'm going to go back to my I'm going to go back to Matt Light every time because the left tackle for a dynasty has almost always made the Hall of Fame. And the fact that Light hasn't gotten a sniff, even if, you know, he might not make it in the long term, but he never got a sniff. Will Fork not even being a finalist this go around. Rodney not being a finalist this go around. Like there's a ton of players on both sides of the ball that just consistently don't make it. And part of it is the Brady Belichick mystique and part of it is jealousy. And part of it is social media and stat humping fantasy Bobos that are driving the attention towards, but who has the best stats and that's, you know, until that changes or until opinions soften on the Patriots or they start to look back on the film and actually notice who was really great, which were a lot of Patriots players over 20 years, then, you know, it's going to be a slow trickle of Hall, Hall of Famers while the Bucks and the Colts and the Ravens and, you know, open the floodgates, let them all in because they apparently had no one that was, you know, transcendent and therefore everybody was good enough for the Hall of Fame. Yeah, it's funny because Seymour wasn't Seymour wasn't very Seymour wasn't very good because of Brady and Belichick, but Belichick wasn't good because of Brady. But Brady wasn't good because of, Brady's only good because of Belichick. It, it, it's it's an endless cycle of of wanting to dismiss. 
I can the hear great, the circle the of life. greatness of the Patriots. I can hear the circle <laughs> of life in the background right now, just slowly building. <laughs> yep. It's an ongoing circle. So, um, but let's not forget through all of our celebration with uh, Richard Seymour making it, deservedly so, um, we cannot mistake one thing. And I know people people are going to be like, um, well, there's one person who was in charge of, of making Richard Seymour go into the Hall of Fame. No, he wasn't. And let's get that clear. And I'm talking about Ron Borges, of the, uh, he formerly of, or maybe still of the Boston Globe. I don't know. But um, it was appalled by the Patriots' first two picks in the 2001 NFL draft. He graded their dr- draft a D minus. And he says, and I'm going to read the whole quote just in case you guys don't know. You hate to fall. You hate to fail anybody who shows up for class. But what are they doing? If you didn't know better, you'd think the Jets sent Bill Belichick north to destroy the Patriots from within. On a day when they could have had impact players, David Terrell or Corn Robinson or, or the second best tackle in the draft in Kenyatta Walker, they took Georgia defensive tackle Richard Seymour, who had one and a half sacks last season in the past happy SEC and is too tall to play tackle at 6'6" and too slow to play, to play defensive end. This genius move was followed by trading out of a spot where they could have gotten the last decent receiver and Robert Ferguson and settled for tackle Matt Light, who will not help anytime soon. Ron Borges, wonderful, wonderful. I can't believe he said he was too tall to play defensive tackle when, you know, who were those two uh... – who were the brothers on the, the Vikings there? The Williams um, brothers? Not really brothers. The Williams. Ish. Yeah. They were both 6'6". I mean, some of the best yeah. defensive tackles out there are massive. Like, that is the weirdest stereotype misconception I've ever heard. It just, like, that just shows that Ron Borges really only cares about boxing. <laughs> he had no business covering football. Zero. Yeah. I mean, it's just him you know, saying whatever he wants to say at a given time. He He's beyond mockery because everything he says is a parody of itself. He just makes up bullshit and thinks it's correct because that's what you could get away with before you lied about filming the Rams practice and before you got tricked by Don, fake Don Yee on WEI. Like, until you've proven yourself to be an idiot, through the 80s and 90, early 90s, really, people just sort of believed reporters and what their stories were. And people believed that they were only hiring the experts. Yeah, without, without social right. media, They too. were only yeah. hiring the experts. And so the expert is going to tell me if this is a good pick or not. Ron Borges is only an expert at picking when it comes to his nose. This is nonsense. <laughs> and so I just I, – I have no words for Ron Borges except fuck you, Ron Borges, because he is just beyond mockery. He's beyond parody. He is a true representation of exactly what he is. And there's, there's zero accountability. He'll never admit to being wrong. And for some reason, fellow media love him. He gets white knighted like none, none other. I guess, I guess you get that when you become a, a, a voter for the Hall of Fame. I guess that comes with a certain stigma. I don't know. That's just a guess on my part. But it's been a bad <laughs> he, he doesn't deserve it. Hall of Fame voters. Especially, especially <laughs> when, you get, when you get fooled by uh, – uh, Joe and, and Quincy from that what was that 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 te- remember that text story? <laughs> he just, he has a track guess, record of being tricked by everybody. Yeah, he just wants what he believes what he wants to believe, and media will defend him because it's 
they do not want to admit any fault in their entire you know in their entire workforce no one in the media has ever done anything wrong is ever bad is ever deserves to be laid off they all are just purely perfect in every single way are there times they don't deserve to be fired absolutely are there times that you know they are really great yep look at my griefs but largely they're just looking to defend their own and to make their their field look a little more important than it actually is Although, to be fair, you know, he probably didn't write that whole thing because, you know, plagiarist. So, you know, I, I'll, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt when it comes to that. <laughs> so uh, I want to quickly go to um, well, somebody else who won an award last night, um, and that's Matthew Slater. Um, I think Matthew, uh, for some reason, especially recently, he's he's got he's gotten heat from some fans for apparently not having stats or not being good. I, I, I don't know where it comes from, but it's just odd to me, but he's a consummate professional and, and clearly he's been marked as that. He won the 2021 art Rooney sportsmanship award. It's an award that's presented each year to an NFL player who best demonstrates the qualities of on-field sportsmanship, including fair play, respect for the game and opponents and integrity in competition. Now, um, I hate that that's integrity is one of the words that's used for the award because, you know, later on, we're going to talk about somebody who bastardizes the word integrity for all it's worth, but it's well-deserved. Um, Matthew Slater, he's, you know, he's always been a leader from, from the moment I would say he, he became a Patriot. He's been a leader and, um, he's, and he's somebody who, if he doesn't go into the hall of fame, when he retires, that's going to be a travesty because if, if you want somebody who is an ambassador of football, that's the guy you look to. I'm just going to say, I know people were up in arms about Devin Hester not making it in this year. There was a lot of feedback on that. If Devin Hester gets in, Matt Slater deserves to be in. Matt Slater has been more valuable on special teams for a longer period of time than Devin Hester. Devin Hester made explosive plays that people noticed because they earned fantasy points and it earned him some playing time on offense. Like there's no disrespect to him. He's one of the best to ever return punts for return kickoffs. He 100% deserves to be in. But if I'm picking between the two of them who had the larger impact on the game for the longer period of time, regardless of what the stats tell me, it's Matthew Slater. You know, I will take all the heat I get from like three people on Twitter who want to disagree with my take, but that is 100% the truth. Matt Slater had more impact on the game of football than Devin Hester did. Yeah, and I, and I think going off on Matthew Slater, or going on Matthew Slater, getting into the Hall of Fame, I think the fact that he's won three Super Bowls is also a point higher on the Devin Hester competition scale um, in that special teams are so important to Bill Belichick's philosophy, to the Patriots, to their success. Adam Vinatieri hitting game-winning kicks, Ryan Allen being perfect in Super Bowl 53. Matthew Slater has led that special teams unit for ever, for 10-plus years. He's going to get in the Hall of Fame. He deserves to get into the Hall of Fame. And I'm really excited because I know Mike Reese in his Sunday um, roundup, the little journal he does, he, he made it clear that it looks like Slater's coming back next year. And I'm really excited for that. 
Dan, you have anything about on the, on the slider? Yeah, I'm just going to disagree with Bill because I think Devin has – I'm just kidding. Um, I think I think people are going to disagree with Bill because I think if you look at – if you took a highlight reel, that's way flashier to a, a casual fan. If you talk about casual fans, especially since casual fans represent the majority of our media, it seems – um, they'll sit, they'll do the same thing. They say, well, Devin Hester was just magic, you know, returning, which one thing I will say to find a really, really good, if not great return man, just finding a good return man is difficult. Never mind a great one. He was rare. But when I think about, you know, what Bill said too, I, I'm thinking more about, you know, the longevity and, and being good for, for many, many years versus just a select handful. Um, I think about, you know, Devin Hester were really, he was good for a, a bit. It wasn't like he was good for, you know, how long did his career last? Was it 10 years? Maybe. But like, he was really impactful for maybe really six or seven of those. I mean, like truly impactful. Um, and I think, you know, like we were talking about defensive linemen are underrated guys in special teams that do the tackling are the most underrated part of football. I mean, I'll, I'll say that from a former lineman himself, I think it's more un- underrated and more overlooked than anything that the linemen have to deal with that is bullshit. Um, because it's just, it's such a difficult part. It's that that is like really where football starts, not just the trenches, but like special teams, man, when you just like, you see a guy across from you and you're running full speed um, and to figure out, you know, as a gunner, you know, how the best possible route, especially, you know, with Slater getting double teamed a lot because they knew how good he was. Uh, I mean, look at that play earlier this year where he got ran out of bounds but by them blocking him out of bounds, double team. So, you know, teams will look any way to take him out. That that says a lot when you are getting double teamed on a, a special team. So um, the other thing I'll say is just um, I really did love – Devin Hester for a little bit when he ran that opening kickoff back against the Colts, you know, there was a glimmer of me being a big fan of Devin Hester and then, you know, the bears just shit the bed. So, yeah, but I'll say Slater. I mean, you can't say enough good things about Matthew Slater. You just can't and like the, it, the leadership, like you said, the championships, you know, what he brings to the team. Um, yeah. It, it's, it's another thing that I think it's really hard for some fans to grasp unless you really watch football. Yeah. I mean, looking at, you know, I just pulled up, believe it or not, stats for Matthew Slater. And just to prove the backup, because I've always thought like he seems to make a couple of extra tackles in the postseason. There seems to be a bigger play or two here and there that he throws in there on the special teams. And the stats do play that out. He's, you know, he has in 206 games in, you know, his in his professional career, he has almost 300 tackles. So it's like, tackle in a you know tackle in a half a game where he's upwards of he's closer to 50 tackles in 25 career postseason games he's closer to two tackles per postseason game so he's somebody that's elevating his game that's stepping up he has five all pro teams either first or second he has you know all those pro bowls i mean players are voting him in for a reason the writers are voting him in for a reason they're double covering him on punt returns for a reason and that's 
you know, taking nothing away from Devin Hester, who should be a Hall of Famer. You know, people I think are going to think I, I'm, you know, that I hate Devin Hester because of that. And I don't. He should be a Hall of Famer. I just, if I'm starting a team, I want somebody who can tackle Devin Hester before I want Devin Hester. Because if somebody can tackle Devin Hester, they can tackle anybody. And so that's what I want. I want the stopper to those electric plays because then you're forcing a longer game. You're forcing teams to make more consecutive plays. You know, it's not the sexy football, but that's that's the more impactful player to me. Uh, you know, so I'm, you know, I'm sure Shaq has thoughts too. And I'm going to, you know, lament my man crush, who's my, you know, Twitter profile picture because, uh, you know, I, I love him so. But Matt Slater, absolutely you know, deserves every bit of the recognition he gets both as an athlete on the field and as a human off the field. And it's tremendous that he got this level of recognition. And I hope that with him coming back next year, you know, as long as that pans out, which I'm, you know, I'm going to knock on wood that nothing, you know, nothing changes on that, but I'm really excited to see him, you know, again for another year because he's just so exceptional at what he does. No, you guys said everything I wanted to say and really his when if you look the definition of football player that's what he is because football player is not just you know the the like Dan said the shiny object you know the he, Devin Hester and no shade to him he kind of reminds he it kind of reminds me of that same type of hype that uh, Dante Hall you guys remember Dante Hall from the Chiefs you know the joystick you know he had a the human, human joystick, joystick yeah. he, you know sexy nickname he, awesome 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 player you know but. I don't really remember him, you know, obviously he was just as good a wide receiver as Matthew Slater is. So, you know, that he, he has that, that, that to worry about, but it's just everything that all encompassing, everything that Matthew Slater has contributed to a lot of Patriots teams and everything that he's been asked to do. I mean, let's not forget he was a defensive player as well. Um, just like Julian Edelman, um, uh, and, and he wasn't in, in this year's Pro Bowl. Obviously, it didn't work out. But um, it's just really, it's just really great that he is able to be versatile and that he can be when needed. And even though it's, it could be some people's detriment, it still talks to how how much of a of a leader he is and how much of a professional he is. So, Shaq, yeah. Shaq, one more one question just for the for the group here, um, you know, again, because I can't get my mind off Matthew Slater, apparently. When's the <laughs> last time that any of us remember one of those like marquee returners having themselves a day against the Patriots? And I, it's got to be priest later. Like, yeah, you know that and that's what I'm talking about. Like, have there been lapses where, like, a guy has popped one because of bad, you know, bad contain or what have you? I'm sure. But can we remember any game where one of those marquee punt returner, kickoff returner guys has gone off? Dante Hall, you know, Tyreek Hill when he's doing the return game, um, Devin Hester, Corderell Patterson. I, I Josh just, Cribbs, remember him? Jo Josh Cribbs. On the Browns, I don't remember him. I, I mean, can any of us remember I mean, in the, in the in the Deflategate game, that AFC Championship game, Josh Cribbs had a fumble, and I mean, he fumbled <laughs> I and recovered he was on, 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 on the first drive. Yeah, and and, and not to forget, Matthew Slater also uh, averaged forty six yards per reception in his career. So, just putting that out there. That sounds good. Yeah, I, yeah, Tyree Kill esque. I mean, you know, I'd rather I'd rather have him. You know, he's not beating up on people, so. 
Media pitch bot will soon have why did Belichick not use Slater more in the receiving game with his 46 yard <laughs> reception? That's a perfect tweet. <laughs> I hope he's, I hope you're listening, bot. And I don't know how accurate this is. I don't know what this stat, this website is, but it says the last person to return a kickoff against the Patriots was CJ Spiller with Buffalo in 2010. I remember that. That doesn't even does, seem real. Does it, 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 I could see that. I can actually see that because I remember that game. So, but not but, every team can have Dan Conley. Not, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> he, which, which he should have. He should have. Oh, I wish he got that touchdown because that he, talking about human joysticks. Yeah, <laughs> elite shiftiness. And, and speaking of elite, um. I want to go to our next subject, Mac Jones, and boy, he had quite a weekend at the Pro Bowl. And uh, first, the Pro Bowl skills competition, which I'm glad it's back. Um, you know, it's 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 fun. I, I, I like it. I, I it's the first time I actually watched the entire thing, or at least most of it, without you know changing the channel. And I would say it's the first time I watched the Pro Bowl too, been a long time, and it's because of Mac Jones. You know, when, you know, there were times when Brady would shy away from it or whatever, but, you know, only the rare occasions. I don't, I don't even think I watched the Pro Bowl when Brady was in it. it. It's just weird. But I watched almost everything with the Pro Bowl as far as Mac Jones and just watching his personality shine as far as, you know, him, you know, dapping up Stefan Diggs. And of course, you know, every, the, the thing that went viral, the, the gritty heard around the world, um, I thought that was awesome. And, you know, the skills competition uh, where he, you know, Russell Wilson beat him out, but, you know, who cares about any of that? I just care about the fact that he had fun. And that's all that matters, right? Because we were talking about this before we started recording. He wasn't voted into the Pro Bowl. He was an alternate alternate. And, but the, but the, but Twitter would just was absolutely aflame why is he in the Pro Bowl? He shouldn't be in it. He's 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 not as good as Josh Allen. Like, are are you really having that much of an issue with a with a guy who wasn't even voted in, enjoying himself and having a good time and say, talking smack? Say Josh Allen is is golfing more. Bills <laughs> fans, say it more. It, it it it's pretty it's pretty amazing to me. So I yeah, that's pretty much it with that. But what do you guys think? I I, I enjoyed watching him have fun. It, it's 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 kind of, it was it was kind of like a you know a working man's Pro Bowl because he's a rookie and it's kind of like me being at the Pro Bowl. It's like I I wouldn't it's like I got invited to something that I probably shouldn't be at, but I'm here. So because I'm here, I'm gonna have a damn good time, and nobody's gonna tell me not to. It's someone. It's someone that wasn't originally invited to the party, and then they got to the party, and they were pretty much. The, the reason why the party was good. Exactly. Uh, you know, that's that's exactly what happened. I mean, and it, the, what you could tell is Mac, like you said, knew he shouldn't be there originally, but he took advantage of every moment. I mean, he volunteered for any aspect of the, the competition the night before. I mean, not the night before, a few nights before. Um, with the pass, it, he was he wanted to be in as much as possible. And I think that's that's textbook Mac that we know so far is, any opportunity to learn or improve, even if it's just joking around, he's learned. He's he's getting to know players around the league more. 
uh, he's making a reputation for himself. And I think other guys were kind of feeding off of his kind of young energy that was going on. Cause he just, like you said, the touchdown to Renfro in, in the pro. And I mean, all this stuff doesn't matter obviously, but like you can tell he actually wanted to play ball. It's like any opportunity to play ball, he's there and down for it. And that's what I, I took away from it, which was awesome. I think the leader of men thing comes to play here where he, he showed how he leads as a rookie, he showed how he is going to lead as he matures. And it's, you know, fun when it's time for fun and it's work when it's time for work. And it's, you know, dedication to the team and love for your teammates. And, you know, I think Chandler Jones came out and said, I became a big Mac Jones fan this weekend. Like a lot of guys really built a lot of respect for Mac this weekend. You even heard uh, him on the mic up, I believe saying something about, Oh, come on, Burns. We're friends now to Brian Burns. Like, you know, he's he's definitely, you know, got that, the, you know, there's a swagger, you know, like almost like a nerdy swagger. It's the the kid who you're like, why is he hanging out? Oh, with God, I it's hate that, that nerdy word. Swagger. Yeah, he, he's got that. <laughs> like, it's, I, you know, I, yeah, he's got charisma. He's got charisma. Yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to pin down exactly what makes him such a magnetic personality, but the players are resonating with it. Coaches resonate with it. The media resonates with it even. And, you know, not that I care what they do, but they, they do resonate with it. And they sort of let him play off the, you know, sort of, huh, I can't really, you know, I'm not really going to give you much on that one. And he's able to sort of laugh it off with them. It's a very interesting dynamic he has. But I think that the leader of men component is going to be a big deal. And players around the league are sort of fans of him, which says a lot about what they project him to be and to become. Yeah, and, and going off that, I mean... Obviously, there's better quarterbacks in the AFC than Mac Jones. No one's denying that. But he was the star of the Pro Bowl. He was very visible throughout the weekend, starting with the skills competition. I think he led the AFC in, in passing yards um, in their win against the NFC, the gritty. He was all over social media, all over any clips of the Pro Bowl. And even last night at the NFL Awards, he, he was there front and center with, with, his, with his girlfriend, he, he, he's just been very visible the last few weeks and, and you guys hit on it. He's, he's very charismatic um, and players definitely do respect him. And I mean, that was evident when he was busting Darius Slay's balls, they were going at it. I mean, that's a rookie. That's a, that's a kid who's only played 17 professional football games and he, he's getting, he's getting some serious respect for some, from some stars in the league. I know we spent a lot of time last year in the free agency period when, when we didn't know, who was going to be the quarterback, whether it was going to be Cam or Mac. And, and we spent a lot of time saying, well, Cam's a big bull, big pull for these guys. Cam can attract these players as free agents. And I think we're trending in a direction where people are going to start putting Mac in those conversations, where Mac is respected, where, where Mac is a guy that, hey, I want to go play for that chubby, nerdy white kid. You know, I think I think Mac's going to I think Mac's going to attract some guys in the future. And I think he had a really good week of of just being present and being, being there. Joe, that's an excellent, yeah. I think it also that's just, an ex, that's an excellent point that Joe it made. Speaks, yeah. It speaks to, yeah, I think, I think these are all good, great points in it. And it, you know, the underlying theme we dealt with as Pats fans and then seeing him in the pro bowl is he was actually, you know, for, he was a rookie. Like, I don't know how many times you have to say that. And people understand that like this whole ceiling floor talk, you know, the ceiling's only as high as he is tall. Like, 
he's a rookie and we're still just deciding all these things. And yet I, th- I thought the funniest, most ironic thing that people did was say, he's really not that good. Um, even though you could say he was the best rookie and then someone would say, well, he was in the perfect situation. Everybody knocks every, everyone else on the offense outside of Damian Harris, the O-line and Mac Jones. And suddenly these are all weapons that every team envies. Like we complain all year, Pats fans on Twitter, we see it all the time. You're already talking about, we could have had Metcalf. We could have had Jefferson. We could have had all these wide receivers, you know, AJ Brown. Um, it was like puke fest during the Titans Bengals game. Everyone just saying this over and over. Anytime they see them, it's, it's just, they have to say it. Um, and it, this guy supposedly the only good players on the offense to help him were born in Henry. And if that's the case, he did even better for a first year rookie. Yes. He had a good offensive line and he had a somewhat dependable defense for most of the year, but he, he did a good, like, I don't know what else to say. Like, I just don't know how people don't under I mean, I know they look at the stats and say, well, he had this many interceptions and he didn't have over 4,000 yards throwing, but think about how the offense, it was even limited. And I think McDaniels and Bill, to an extent, still wanted the leash on him, you know, for like at least five or six of the games he had a leash on, if not more. Um, so I, I think you look at that, and we talked before about do we think Mac makes a second? I think he makes a second-year leap. I'm just not thinking it's going to be gigantic. But I think this Pro Bowl and this opportunity is sort of – one of many stepping stones to make that leap. And I think he took full advantage of it, no matter how much people water down the Pro Bowl. And I saw cancel the Pro Bowl season was happening as well. You just got to cancel it because what's the point? What it, even though you're watching it, you are you decided to turn on the channel and you're complaining about what is this? It's like you, you could just – there's like a million other media options out there and you did not have to watch it. But Pats fans will just complain about everything. So Well – I can tell you this, uh, Matt Jones, as a rookie, he had he may not have have had a uh, four thousand yards, but he had three thousand five hundred and forty or three thousand five hundred and sixty, and I believe that he's the first <laughs> rookie quarterback to do that in NFL history. So is that not worth something? And there was a game where he only threw three passes, right? So, so what I think a lot of this is. A lot of this, oh, he's not very good. Oh, his ceiling is, you know, an attic or whatever they say. I think all this poo-pooing is really is a coping mechanism for people. I think people know that he's good. They know how skilled he is. They know that he's liked amongst players, like Joe said. They know that he's getting that rapport with not only his teammates, but with people around the league. And fans see it and media sees it and they know it. And so this is a way of saying, oh, well, he's not going to be really that good. Because, well, he can't do this. Oh, he can't throw passes. He can't do this. It's, it's, it's just a way for them to, to make themselves feel better to think that, oh, well, the Patriots aren't going to be good. Well, sorry, that's not the case. So I, I just think it's, it's hilarious. It is. And, and going off what, what Dan had just mentioned, that he, he predicts that Mac's going to make a leap. It's not going to be gigantic. The problem is... If it's not gigantic, people are going to freak out. People are going to – it's going to be the end of the world. 
it's going to be I, – I, I can't even imagine if, if we don't get Calvin Ridley, which I, I don't even expect that we do. If we don't get Calvin Ridley or draft a wide receiver in the first round form, it's going to be the end of the world. And I'm cautiously awaiting free agency in the draft for that reason. Yeah, I mean, it's – but the thing is, it doesn't need to be a big leap. It just needs to be a leap in consistency as opposed to a leap in production. What people don't recognize is that in the 17-game season – 275 yards a game over those 17 games gets you into the four, well up into the 4,000 yard. You're in like 4,500 yard territory. So he had several games that were like taking out the, you know, the one pass game, the, you know, the three pass game, one completion game. You're talking, you know, he had a couple of games that were about 190 yards, 180 yards. And then he had a good number of games in like the 230 to 320 range. You get more consistent in that range, and that's going to be where the production comes from. That's the leap, where he's consistently throwing 275, completing 67, 68% of his passes, and he throws less interceptions. You do that, you've got a, you've taken a major leap without production being the result necessarily in terms of like these big blow-up games of 400 yards. And I think that's where you're going to see a leap for him is really in that consistency realm as opposed to anything else. And if he does that, then the Patriots are very likely to make a step forward and win a playoff game next year or win the division or, you know, they're much, they're more realistically in the hunt if that happens. Yeah. Give, give them another training camp off season with these guys, like, born in Aguilar and I know <clears throat> a, lot, a lot of fans want to just simply cut Aguilar or trade him for something that is worth you more than Nelly? Aguilar suddenly. Um, yeah. Nelly, Nelly eggs. Um, the, you know, he's getting another season with Hunter Henry, which I think he already has a very strong connection with um, as a friend and, and a teammate too. And I think, you know, he's they're They're going to make some moves in the off season. I mean, to, to say that we're going to, add, you know, some pro bowlers or something? Probably not. But they're going to add the right people, you know, play money ball if they have to in certain positions. Um, this isn't going to be the offseason we're going to overspend, but Mac is going to get consistency there too, around him. And I think that's key, especially for a rookie going a second year, is the pieces are very similar around him. And I think one of the big mistakes, and I think this is what Patriots fans would do if they were GMs, a shocker, is they would just get all these new guys for year two. Oh, go get Allen Robinson. Go get Calvin Ridley. Go get everyone on my heard of him wish list. And yeah, that's great. You have a more talented receiver that is also new to the offensive system and this quarterback. So, you know, it, it sounds so nice in people's heads, but when you actually make it happen, is it all going to work exactly what how you want it to play out? And probably not. So let's temper our expectations and just hope that he has consistency around him and that will help him. So, Yeah, exactly. And, and during the Pro Bowl, when they interviewed him, they, he, he's ahead of the game. And he, said, he acknowledged that he knows what he has to do. You know, he's, he wants to get stronger. He wants to get bigger. He wants to improve his passes. So I, I think that's, that's more than you can, what you could ask for from a uh, coming into a second-year guy. So uh, – I want to move on and, and go to something that Bill in our um, EW thread was talking about. And first, uh, we can talk about the Goodell press conference another time or maybe never because he says the same 
bullshit. And the guy, the flagship guys did a great job about, uh, discussing, uh, that in particular, as far as the flake gate, but Bill, you had a great, uh, maybe a counter to something that one of the flagshippers, Mike and Root one had to say, as far as the flake gate and the guys and the Dorito dinks and what that entailed. God, first off, the, that we're in the year 2022 and we're still talking about Dorito Dink drives me up a goddamn tree. Um, but, you know, it's not even a counter to what Mike said. I, I think it's in a lot of ways really sort of speaking, a, finding a different conclusion from things that he's drawing from as well. Um, because he, what he was drawing from was talking a lot about, like, he was putting pieces together and saying, like, you know, oh, do these texts, like, you know, the do these texts really, like, incriminate Brady no did they say that it wasn't like that there wasn't a discussion about footballs no and and so like I understand where he's coming from with that and I think my counter you know my sort of counter sort of half agree is that yeah I think Brady absolutely had a conversation with them and the way the texts read for those of us who have like a PhD in Deflategate they read in a way that says that they did that very clearly. I, I forget if it was the game after, you know, the game after the Jets, or the game after the game with Chicago. I forget which one it was, but they um, had weighed the balls after the game and said the refs fucked us. You know, they were they were over. They were like, you know, overweight. Oh, the refs fucked us. Brady was right. Well, clearly they're not going into some nefarious scheme with that. But when they have to go to tell Tom Brady that, I'm sure that Tom Brady probably says something like, hey, make sure that those aren't over again. Like talk to, you know, and he could mean talk to the refs. He could mean, you know, make sure that when you bring them to the room, they're at 12.6 so that they don't feel a need to inflate them. You know, because they're definitely within range. There's not a, a guessing game. Um, and so, you know, then two, you know, two employees with the, you know, IQ of a bag of Doritos might, you know, choose to do something nefarious or they might be rolling their eyes about the Hall of Fame quarterback being really nitpicky about their balls and be like, oh, well, look out, you're the deflator. You know, you got to make sure that you're keeping those balls where they should be, you know, and like we all bitch about our jobs at times we all complain about things that come up in our lives and so i i just i look at all this and what it really comes down to for me is very likely brady didn't want the balls over found out they were over said hey make sure that doesn't happen so yeah was he aware did he tell them to do to make sure they're that they're at the right weight yeah did he tell them to do something illegal no did they do something illegal no because science tells me they didn't do something illegal so they didn't do something illegal to them, but were they bitching about their job and probably using the deflator nickname as a half mockery of Tom Brady because he was that neurotic about the whether it was 12.5 or 12.8 PSI? And they're like, oh, my God, this diva. Yeah, that's a much more realistic understanding than what was in the, you know, deflate, you know, the, the Pat's report in context or whatever, the deflate gate in context that the Pat's put out or the Wells report or, you know, anything that was researched by the organization that said that smoking doesn't cause cancer that the NFL hired to come to a particular conclusion. It, we're, we're talking in circles here about what is very likely people mocking a quarterback being a diva about a little bit of air in the ball, him giving them a hard time about it, and them just venting about their jobs to each other. That seems like the story to me because science tells me nothing illegal happened. Yeah, and the one one of the big things is and and I, I get 
so enamored with these people. Again, the flagship guys did a great job on this, but the cell phone thing and about how that, that was the reason why he was suspended. It wasn't about science because they clearly, and again, Goodell, you know, a good job, Ben Vaughn. Pat on the pat on the head for for ask, ask, actually asking a good question. Um, you know, we found out that they don't really they didn't really care about the science. It was really about a cell phone that, for all intents and purposes, didn't matter to anything. And so, well, it was it was them finding a way to give them an out power and ability to judge how they want moving forward and. You know, like we all know, they made an example out of the star of the league. And no matter what it did to his name or his reputation, they didn't care because that gave them like the the green light to basically from there. I mean, can anyone and, and this is this is the, the funniest part is I remember when this all happened, we, you know, Patriots fans would argue and loyal Patriots media would say, well, you know, this just sets a bad precedent for other things that have to get a, a league rule in the league and actually show discipline, you know, with it, whether it's fine picks, uh, you know, how they punish, you know, you know, stepping over the line with the rules. And you cannot, they used to say, yeah, sure, sure. You can't name me since then one case where the league actually justly also, you know, wrong, you know, right it or wrong, basically. I mean, how many times in this past year has the league had an opportunity to do something and decided to do nothing? I mean, we're probably going to see it again right now with the whole Dolphin scandal, you know, paying Flores to, to lose games, uh, the stuff with, you know, Denver being drunk at the interview, the stuff, you know, with the Giants in general. Nothing is going to happen with it because this is all that started back then. And every time they do nothing, that's why. It's because now it doesn't matter what they do. So they can, when they want to, they're going to hurt. They're going to hurt somebody in terms of an organization and a player. But right now, Patriots aren't on top really, and they have who they want at the top. So they're not going to mess with it. But as soon as someone kind of makes them look bad, it's going to be unleashed again, just with no precedent. I think I speak for all of us when I say Troy Vincent can F off forever. <laughs> Amen. F- fuck you, Troy <laughs> Vincent. And and thank thank uh, goodness for uh, Kevin Falk during that draft uh, presentation, which, by the way, that, that draft pick that he was announcing was Joe, Joe Tooney. So that was a that was a pretty good pick. Um, if I was if I was big Jim Murray and uh, I met Troy Vincent's parents, I'd, I'd say I hope uh, you outlivers. <laughs> <laughs> and, and people forget that Joe Tooney pick came from the Chandler Jones trade. That's just that's just build a GM, screw and build a coach again, I think, though. Oh, well, you know, yeah, none of his draft picks actually work out. I mean, you know, he's got lucky. It's, it's Parcells picks. I'm sorry. It's now executive of the year. Bill Belichick is screwing over Bill the coach. <laughs> yes, Absolutely. Wait, he's not Ozzy New- Newsom? Okay, well, that's that's the GM everybody seems to love. Um, uh, last topic before final thoughts. Um, there's this whole, there's this brand new phrase of the week or phrase of phrase du jour, and that is brain drain. And when I think of brain drain, I, I think of those cartoons where you know they have the 
m- machine and they put it on top of, of the head of somebody and and the brain is going up and, and you know, all the stuff is draining out of it. That's what I think when I think of brain drain. But when the media refers to brain drain, these idiots are referring to Patriots brass leaving, going to different other markets and the Patriots apparently having no offensive coordinator, no offensive defense coordinator. And that means it's the worst thing ever because apparently you need an offensive coordinator and a defensive coordinator to succeed. Even though they didn't have one in 2018 when they won a Super Bowl. What if you guys, any of you guys know what this obsession is to you must have every, every designated staff uh, vacancy filled up. What is this? It's nonsense. Um, but I mean, I, I think you just have to look at it, you know, much like we taught, you know, circle of life feels like the trend of the day. Um, because, you know, it, it was eight, nine years ago when we were hearing, it's a guy from the, from this mining and technology college. He doesn't know anything. And now he's part of the brain drain in 2022. He's part of everybody who could leave. Oh my God, they're losing so much talent off this staff. Now ignore that they brought back head coach, former head coach of the Lions, Matt Patricia, last year. They just brought back former head coach of the Giants, and they just they just don't ever, ever, you know, between think about like what's coming in because like Judge and um, Patricia are both you know ex- were both exceptional coordinators. That's why they got head coaching jobs. And now they're back as, you know, staff assistants or offensive assistants or what have you. And they're not thinking about what's coming in. It's only about what departs. So, you know, brain drain apparently is only a one-way tube. There's not anything coming back in. And, you know, just remember that when they tell us that, you know, some, you know, some doofus from the submarine college of Subway um, is our new, you know, offensive assistant that isn't going to go anywhere. Because seven years from now, they might be, you know, a head coaching or offensive coordinator candidate in another for another team and that, that that brain drain shit was so evan lazar like the the whole you know it, it started because not just josh mcdaniels gerard mayo was being interviewed and it was like well then you lose everybody but that's conflicting because everyone makes fun of them for not having a defensive coordinator um but yet they're worried about gerard mayo leaving and supposedly Gerard Mayo's one of the reasons, if not Steve Belichick, supposedly that they were so bad in their last games of the season. So it's all, this is just, you know, narratives starting to, to butt heads. Um, that don't really make sense like usual, but they are getting a more experience that they've had in the system before coming back to them uh, with Joe Judge. And I mean, everyone can make fun of him as much as you want and that he's not going to be the coordinator. He's going to be an assistant. But do you really think that they're going to take a step back. Come on, people. Like, it, people are just so set on them regressing next year based upon how the season ended. And they don't remember how the season started or the majority of the season. Um, and I think they're going to make the right changes. Again, we talked about, I was talked about before with free agency. They're going to make the right changes. They're going to add draft picks that are going to be youthful, especially I think they're going to draft a really good linebacker, hopefully in the first few rounds. Um, so I think the whole, one thing gets more emphasized than the other. When the players are lacking, they say, well, at least you have coaching. And when the coach is lacking, they say, oh, now you need talent. So no one's going to be satisfied with how this plays out, especially with Pats fans who wanted Bill O'Brien or Benemy or any flashy name. 
but of course you bring back Joe Judge and everyone's making the uh, he's going to call QB sneak on third and ten jokes that are going to just be beaten to death. So every every coach, uh, uh, regardless of team, is every especially offense coordinator and defensive coordinators. They're always the the butt of jokes. They're always the lightning rod for controversy for some reason. I don't know why. So, uh, but God bless you, uh, Matthew Judon, for going on Dicker and Dicker of, of 98.5's show and trying to explain to them what Steve Belichick and Gerard Mayo and do and how they run their defense. You know, they're like, how can anybody be, how can you have a defensive coordinator when nobody's a defensive coordinator? Dumbasses. I mean, they're just so pathetic. I also think it's funny that this brain drain is being overblown, but then in, in six months, it's the Belichick coaching tree is so unimpressive. He can't bring up coaches. The system doesn't work. But then it's such a huge deal with these guys. It's just, you can't, it's, it's one or the other. But no, I'm excited. I, th- I think, I, I mean, they had, a, they had a really good draft last year. I think them regressing is unlikely. I think they're going to improve. And going off what Bill said earlier, win a playoff game, get to the divisional round, challenge the Bills more for the division. It's just, it's a step in the right direction. And just because it doesn't happen overnight doesn't mean we need to say the sky is falling. Yeah, and a lot of these guys are going to be in their second year, another year in the in the uh, offense, another year in the defensive schemes. It, it's it, yeah, they'll go through changes, but the the core principle, Bill Belichick, is there, and so that's really all I care about. As long as there's still the foundation of Bill Belichick, I think there's you know there's nothing to be concerned about. But of course, if you if you don't turn off your radio, that's there's concerns all around, but that's why we say turn off your radio. Um, but now let's get to final thoughts. We're going to skip dance because he had to jump off. So, uh, Joe, um, this is your first shot at it. Uh, what, what's your final thought? Anything you want? Well, I just want to say thanks. Thanks for the invite on. Um, absolute pleasant surprise. I'm a big fan of the show, obviously. Um, and you guys, um, I think we all share parallel lines of thinking and ideas when it comes to the Patriots. And I'm just, I'm grateful for the invite and, and obviously I'll still listen moving forward. Um, no, I'm just, this was awesome. I want to say thank you. And, and I'll let you guys take it from here on the rest of the final thoughts. Cool. Bill, you're up. So I, I think that it's important, you know, at this time of year to look at the calendar. You know, we've talked a lot about brain drain, free agency, draft, coaching departures, coaching arrivals. Player, you know, the roster is not set for the 2022 Patriots. We do not play a game for six months. We do not, you know, the we as fans do not go and watch a game. The players do not go play a game for six months. Why am I already seeing that we're doomed? Why am I seeing that we're going to regress? Why are we worse? Why don't we have enough speed on defense? Why don't we have the wide receiver we want? Why hasn't Mac improved already? We need to look at the calendar. Today, according to my computer, is February 11th. The Super Bowl for the season that has finished is this Sunday. And we're already doomed in 2022. We can't have this. We need to find a way as Patriots fans to understand that the roster gets worse for every team every year at this time because players come off the roster. 
the coaching staffs get weaker because coaches depart to go elsewhere, whether that be other professional teams, college teams, retirement, anywhere. Why are we talking as if the sky is falling and only the Patriots have dealt with departures? I would argue the departures that the Patriots have suffered in this leading into this offseason are not as significant as many teams in this league have that people are relying on being excellent next year. You know, I, you know, I look at a few different rosters and I look at the, you know, I'm going to use Kansas City as an example because they're an exemplary team in the league. Um, and I'm going to say Tyron Matthew is probably a bigger, you know, question mark than almost any player on the Patriots. Would we like to be sure we have J.C. Jackson? Absolutely. But the reason I say that's a bigger question mark is Kansas City doesn't have a ton of money to spend where the Patriots have a lot more flexibility. And so you're looking at these rosters and it's not dire straits no matter how you shake it. You were likely not seeing the retirements that we thought we might see with Slater coming back, with McCourty sort of hinting at the fact that he might not be done. Um, and, you know, so I think that those are two very likely returns for next year at this point, which are unexpected and allow for development of a player like Duggar for one additional year, who then gets to shine in a role come his fourth year. And that's when they'd be considering having to pay him and keep him sort of longer term. It really does sort of fit nicely if that's the jumping off point there for Duggar to become more of a leader on the defense. Um, but you're, you're talking like this team is set in February of 2022 to be ready to play their game you know, six, seven months in the future. So let's not jump ship. Let's not be, you know, the terrible 0 and 16 are now on the 0 and 17 are now on the table tweets. Let's be better than that and let the draft and free agency play out. And then even, God forbid, let this team come together during the preseason and early stages of the year to see what they're really about. Because if we looked at this year, we didn't know what this team was until almost November. So take a breath, take a pause. We are six months away from games, really set almost seven from meaningful ones. Take your breath. We're going to be okay. Amen. Amen. Yeah, perfectly said. And uh, my final thought is, well, I watched uh, the Tuck Rule 30 for 30 on ESPN and ESPN Plus. And, you know, I saw everybody on my t Twitter feed and my timeline raving about it and saying it was pretty good. It was great. You got to watch it. And so I watched it. And, yeah, for the most part, you know, it was great. Um, Charles Woodson is annoying as fuck. And I hated that part, you know, because – even to this day, he he just like Marshall Falk and and Lincoln Kennedy and all these Raiders and, and Rams who are you know butt hurt because they got bested by the Patriots want to go by one rule or one thing that they've heard and they want to discount everything and then they were just going and the part that I that really if you haven't watched it yet spoiler alert so please you know don't 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 email me um, but they, they go into a part where you know it's a hypothetical imaginary type of thing where they're like, well, if, if they call the tuck rule correctly, you know, as far as the Raiders are concerned, well, then Brady fumbles and, and then they lose the game. Apparently the Patriots lose, I guess. So he fumbles and, you know, so, and then, and then, you know, Brady being humble, which I, 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 you know, now that you're retired, Brady, stop being humble. You don't need to be humble anymore. Just talk shit. Um, but, 
Um, he says, oh, I would, I would be the backup to Bledsoe and all this stuff. But, okay, the tuck rule as a rule, yeah, kind of stupid. But in that instance, it was correct and it was applied correctly. And the fact that it has to be continuously repeated and, you know, now it still has to be repeated because of the special. Um, like Even when the rules are followed correctly, it turns into cheating. And there was a tweet in 2017 that I looked up. These idiots on ESPN, these same people who produced this 30 for 30, tweeted that the tuck rule was created during for this game. Created. So, I mean, this can't be intentional. I mean, it's, it's pretty unbelievable. But Matt Chatham had a great uh, thread a, a long time ago about, you know, how about everything that went up to the tuck rule. The Raiders didn't lose because of the tuck rule. They lost because they gave up a 14-yard pass to David Patton, and that was the play right after the tuck rule. They couldn't have made the, the – the Patriots could have made the field goal without that pass. And then, you know, the Raiders, they, they didn't do the little things. And, you know, there was a a, a bigger play that, that, that the refs didn't call. That, that could have been the difference there. So, you know, it's the Oakland fa- defense failed towards the end of that. And Oakland only needed two yards for the Tuck Rule series for not to even happen. So the Raiders defense should have responded and they need to look within. But even to this day, they continue to whine and cry about how they've been hurt and how their careers would have been different if a fumble was called. So, you know, I say keep crying and keep whining because the Patriots are going to still have that championship as well as five others in, in the Patriots hall of fame. And the Raiders will have nothing. So deal with it. And and going off on the, on the point of the district talking documentaries, Brady just announced that the last episode of man in the arena is coming out in, in April. And I'm sure it's the Tampa Bay one. So that one I will probably skip to be completely honest with you. So <laughs> I've been skipping the entire series, to be honest with you, because um, if you, uh, one if of, you one of our buddies, it, yeah, go ahead. the, uh, the Alex Guerrero episode is just, it's just, Oh God, horrendously bad. And so cringe. Is it, is it more, is it more of this. him? Is it more of him doing, you know, the karate chop on his back? You know, just like Tom there's, versus There's a Tom. lot of Brady upper thigh in the episode. I'll just put that in there. A lot Whoa. of Brady upper thigh and, and Gronk's in it. It's just it's just a mess. I mean, we we all understand. And listen, I am very grateful for everything Tom Brady gave, you know, to the Patriots and my childhood. We understand that this is one big infomercial, right? Like, yes, this yes. is all one big infomercial. And people need to remember that. And like, no I have Brady raincoat for 95 money. bucks. Right. I mean... <laughs> Listen, you want you, you want to build a empire on your name and you know some sort of spice that might do something in your mind. Then feel free, you do you. But let's not pretend that Man in the Arena is not a you know nine or ten part infomercial. That's what it is. I really enjoyed the the early episodes, to be honest with you, but the early Patriots and he had really good guests and even the Randy Moss episode was great. But every episode since since the Alex Guerrero and the Gronk fellation of all of each other was just it's just been, like you said, an infomercial for his concussion water and everything else. So, well, I mean, look at it. It's if you play it out, it's, you know, think about the the format of an infomercial. 
they show you how hard something can be and they show you how happy people are when they accomplish it. <laughs> Do you want that to be you? Well, for seven payments of ninety nine ninety five, you can wear a sweatshirt with my name on it. That's it'll so make, that the, it'll make you, it'll make it. And, and then, and then they lie to you so much. They say, this has ultra fiber technology that makes your soft and wet and just, you know, they, they, it, it's hilarious. They lie to you so much. Yeah. Oh yeah. The difference between the way Brady markets his brand between Edelman markets his t-shirts is, is is perfect because Brady's like, this is the best thing you'll ever wear. It's $90 for a sweatshirt. It's great. And the Edelman's like, yeah, here's a $20 t-shirt. It's terrible. Buy this shit. And I love it. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like, it looks like Edelman just like rolled out of a dumpster and was like, you want this shirt? Like he's just Designed that's on Microsoft Paint. <laughs> right. You want this shirt? I made it at three AM while I was high on Coke. Like that like, I got it from Canal I got it from Canal Street. It's off the it's off the truck. You want it? Yeah. I, I you know, I smoked I smoked a joint and then the squirrel told me that I should design this T shirt. Here it is. Check this shit out. Like that's Edelman. And that's why I've bought Edelman stuff. And why I yes. haven't brought bought Brady stuff. Because Edelman is relatable in a way that Tom Brady will never be. He was supposed to be like American Joe, and now he's like, you know, big time. And Edelman became that, like, you know, sort of all-American, like, I'm the typical guy, and I'm here for that. Um, but, yeah, it's one big, you know, the I, I haven't watched it in its entirety. I've seen clips, but, like, the formula is just one nine- or ten-hour infomercial. He's built, it's just a way to build it while he's launching his brand in the middle of it, announcing his retirement to get more focus on it. Like, this has all been a very calculated approach to marketing. And, like, no shade on him, really smart. Yep, it's getting, it's getting him so much attention about it. So, you know, mm -hmm. you know, Mazel Tov, you know, I'm not, I will never spend $99 on a, a shirt that, you know, looks like any other shirt. But God bless you if you want to do that. So um, that's going to do it for the 100th edition of Entitled Town Slash Weekend. Um, the godfather of podcast, of the Entitled Podcast Network, um, Ironhead, Mike Irons, um, he opened our show by doing a live reading of the Patino uh, rant. And uh, he's going to close our show by doing the rest of the Patino rant. But before that, um, I want to say thanks to the guys. Uh, you can find Dan at Judon Sack Lunch. You can find Bill at the Fib 0624. You can find Joe at Joe J O E S A V I G N A N O. And you can find me at Atomic Dog 5150. And we'll see you all next week. And until next time, turn off your radios, slugs. And we're going to stay positive all the way through. And you think I'm going to succumb to negativity. You're wrong. You got the wrong guy leading. It's entitled town. <laughs>